Hell yeah. The Gaming Guru Podcast. Diesel, the best gaming podcast in the world. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Gaming Guru Podcast. As always, my name is Gareth Woods, and I'm joined by Tim Lester. How are you doing, sir? Dude, I'm doing so good. It's been a good week so far. The weather's beautiful. Been playing some cool games, and I'm keen to chat about yeah some games. Yeah, well, today we've got a topic that we've been toying with for a long time, and finally have had the opportunity to get into, and that is. The case of video game reviews. That might sound very, um, very broad a topic, but I think we wanted to talk about exactly what place reviews have still in gaming culture. So, uh, you know, a couple of themes we, we'll, we're going to talk about. Obviously, where reviews started. You know, nostalgically, we're going to take you down memory lane, and and where reviews, you know, had their role, and how much that has changed, and you know in a lot of ways potentially has been corrupted and subverted and used for nefarious means and, you know, maybe politicized, but we want to look at how much relevance reviews still have in, in, in the world of gaming. So without any further ado, um, let's jump into kind of your earliest, earliest memories of, of game reviews or, or reading reviews. What's yours, Tim? So, I mean, like as, you know, gaming, huge part of the entertainment industry, I'm, I'm pretty sure that <clears throat> reviews sort of started off, you know, as criticism of this sort of interactive uh, art form. And like for me, uh, like my earliest memories are, you know, chilling in like choir practice with like a nag magazine, like between like me and like three other guys. And we're just like flipping through. And, you know, it was like the only way that you could find out about like upcoming games or games that were out that you didn't even know existed, you know, cause you couldn't just jump onto Google and say, you know, what's coming out in this quarter, mm. you know, it was a way that you could, that you could see what's happening, you know, find out about the games that you enjoy and share that with, uh, share that with your friends. I remember like borrowing magazines from friends just so I could like flip through it and, you know, get that content like even though i didn't have a computer to play any of these games on i wanted the content because i like sort of lived vicariously through these you know like my relationship with games yeah. even though i wasn't gaming at the time like came by interacting like with these magazines or with these review shows i think there was showbiz report at some point years and years ago uh where they where they had uh you know, video reviews of, of certain games. And I remember seeing like Papa the Rapper and <laughs> like Abe's Odyssey and yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because I have a very similar experience where uh, game reviews tend to be your inherited knowledge of games because you, you didn't have a vast experience in terms of being able to play games yourself. Yeah. And particularly because in those days, for one in South Africa, a lot of games just didn't get here because... It was the days of if a game wasn't pre-ordered enough, it just wouldn't arrive. There was no digital distribution. So if it didn't arrive physically, there was no way of getting hold of it. And then also on top of that, because the there was very few, what do you call, multi 
platform games. You know, like we have nowadays. Yeah, they're still exclusives. You still have your, you know, your Halo series and your God of War and all that. But like, they are definitely more multi-platform games because I feel like the the technology has reached almost right. um, like a unification point, far more so than in the past. Where if you think like on the PlayStation, the majority of games were on PlayStation only or Mega Drive yeah. or NES. It was not a lot of games that were on multiple kind of consoles uh, or those that were on PC were almost exclusively on PC. There was, right. you know, crossplay was an absolute, it wasn't even a dream yet. No one had even thought of the idea of like the, the consoles being able to play kind of cooperatively or, or against each other, you know, playing the same game. So a lot of the time, the reviews you were reading were games you were never going to experience, um, you know, yeah. short of getting an emulator years later when we had access to things. So reviews then gave you or armed you with your opinion on that game despite never having played it. So someone goes like, hey, have you played, uh, you know, the late Sonic 2? And you're like, no, because I've never touched a Mega Drive in my life. But I've read the reviews and I can, you know, talk with confidence uh, on the yeah. playgrounds <laughs> as if I had, you know, the much coveted Mega Drive. Um, you know, thinking about that, I don't think anyone like I knew even had a uh, NES. Uh, we had the kind right. of like knockoff Golden China or China Mart uh, version, so we could play these family fun system. Yeah, eight bit, you know, games, but they looked nothing like the Nintendo console yes. or the cartridges. And like, and all the cartridges were like those uh, Chinese knockoff, like twenty five in one, yep. like <laughs> sort of cartridges. Um, just on one of your points, I think I remember like one of my earliest memories of a uh, cross-play game. Well, not cross-play, or uh, cross-platform game mm. was uh, GTA 3. I remember okay. like a mate of mine had it on PC and then another friend had it on PlayStation. And that was quite novel. Yeah. And you think about like how in, the, in terms of gaming in general, how recent that is. I mean, right. GTA 3... You know, it probably came out, I want to say, in like the mid to late 90s. If you think of the history of games, it's like that's quite a long time has already passed by the time. I mean, you're really talking 3D graphics and, you know, graphics cards and the likes. Mm. Um, but, <clears throat> but I guess what interests me then is that the place of reviews became one of informing and, and allowing you to experience almost vicariously. But what that does mean is that there's very little, I suppose, questioning of opinion. Yeah, you could right. consume multiple reviews and see if they're vastly different. But essentially, what reviewers thought is what you thought. You know, whatever was printed on the inside of that NAG magazine or, you know, whatever. Um, I can't even remember the other names of mag, uh, PC format or any of those others you used to read. Yeah. Those are the only opinions out there. And so there was definitely this kind of gatekeeping of opinion that came from yeah. those kind of review outlets. There were very few outlets, um, particularly locally. Um, but they obviously either bought their games or managed to get copies through distributors or, or PR kind of networks and get copies. But that essentially was then the gaming opinion. And I, I'm very interested in how through things like YouTube and Reddit forums and Metacritic and all that, there's been this vast democratization of opinion. You know, yeah. And whether it's a good or a bad thing, we can discuss a little bit later. But the idea that... It's no longer IGN or GameSpot or NAG or whoever that like decides what the narrative is for you know a game's success or not. It's not one or two reviewers deciding whether this game was good or not, because we've seen plenty of examples where the critics 
don't enjoy a game and the fans love it and vice versa. Exactly. Yeah. Where the critics actually love a game and then it gets panned by, by the player base. And so I feel like we're getting to this point, particularly if you look at something like Metacritic, where, you know, sometimes those two can be at odds with each other, where you don't see both sides loving or hating a game. There's a definite feeling of critics versus the public. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, uh, because uh, I, I think this is true across uh, across different industries, across a vast number of interest, industries, right? Mm. Um, where you have this um, decentralization of uh, opinion uh, and that sort of um, that sort of opinion power being taken out of the hands of traditional media outlets. You know, we saw it happen with uh, with television, with uh, movies as well, and then into the hands of um, of the general population, where we can chat about these things openly on forums, we can cross-reference reviews from different outlets, and there are you know, comment boxes now, right? The rise yeah. of social media allowed us to actually make a comment on those reviews and say, this reviewer sucks, you know, he's biased towards these types of games, like this reviewer only likes these types of games and never gives a positive, you know what I mean? So yeah, it yeah. opens up the playing field for a lot more people to enter into this discussion and then help to formulate those opinions. Okay, so then what place do reviews still have for you nowadays? So it's interesting because I mean, like, you know, I, I host a podcast with you. I, you know, we, we, we stay pretty on top of, of games uh, in a way that, that I don't generally find myself going and seeking out reviews unless there's a game that I really want that's upcoming. Um, just because of how the industry has kind of gone with its uh, marketing and communication in the last five years, you know, or longer, like I'm, I'm always skeptical and I always mm. try and get as much information as possible from variety of sources, you know, when it comes to actually putting my money down. Um, yeah. I'll watch live streams of like actual gameplay. I'll wait until reviews are out. So after release date, I don't pre-order anything anymore. Yeah. I wait after release date and I'll check in with my friends who did pre-order and did buy on launch day and see how their experiences are going. Sometimes I'll even wait for like a second wave uh, price drop or special. You know, if the game wasn't as hot as it was um, originally anticipated, the price will get knocked down for a bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's how I sort of navigate um like opinions around games with my buying power you know yeah 100 percent. so um can you think of an example of where review has influenced you to buy a game that you would weren't going to buy or vice versa to you know maybe think twice about a game that you were you know going to get you were definitely going to pre-order thought you'd wait for the reviews saw the reviews and thought nah maybe not I mean, look, I guess the, the best example of this would be Cyberpunk, right? Okay. Like, I mean, it was a highly anticipated game for a lot of people. I'm still playing it, you know. Uh, I've, I've got like 100-odd hours into the game. I can't really, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I remember like 120. So I'm enjoying my experience. I'm still playing it. I didn't buy it. It's a friend's copy, you know. Um, but that was definitely one where I had my finger on the pre-order button and like as soon as the picture became a bit clearer as to like what was actually happening with this release, you know, my, f I, I retreated <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, 100%. fast and it became a uh, wait and see uh, approach. 
Okay, so you still feel that like reviews do influence um, people's decisions on on whether they buy or or don't buy a game. Yeah, definitely. I I really okay. think they do because you know it, the way that review scores are. You know, it's not for me. It's not necessarily about the individual reviews, but the sort of opinion economy that we have going on now, okay. where reviews are then collected, you know, and and processed through something like Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic, which then gives an overall score based on you know the collective opinion of what a number of people are saying about it, and mm. that score, like at face value, even though it's just a number, like. For me, at least, it, it usually translates to uh, some type of tangible quality. If those reviews haven't been adulterated by, you know, scores of review bombing, you know, which we'll get into a bit later, or you know, any other type of political shenanigans, which may have, yeah, which may have tainted the, that score, and yeah. that happens. That happens. Scores get messed yeah, so, up all the time. So I think that's that's a good segue to something I want to talk about, which is then if there is an incentive to get good scores, because like you said, it influences whether people buy or not. Um, mm. Another thing that some people don't know is that a lot of companies will have performance bonuses based on external review scores. So, you know, if the Metacritic score is above 80, everyone gets a 10% bonus. If it's above 90, they get a 20% bonus. If it's a 95, they get you know even more. So there's an incentive to get good scores. So, I mean, for one, just from the, like, is that the best way to make art, you know, very, like, artsy-fartsy argument going, if you're chasing down review scores, you're far more likely to make another Avengers movie than you are to make right. another piece of art. Um, and not that the Avengers isn't a piece of art, but, you know what I mean, you're far more likely to be chasing favor than to right. be pu pushing boundaries, which can potentially, like, put your art form into a bit more of a samey fitting a mold giving people what they you know they're going to want rather than what they don't know that they want yet you know pushing yeah. those boundaries we're not even going to get into that because that's a whole nother can of worms <laughs> i just want to get into the idea that like if there's something as tangible as a performance bonus on the line would i as a developer not do everything i can to make sure my review scores are good and whether that pressure is tangible in that I am holding a gun to the head of a reviewer or if it's kind of implied, like uh, another thing people might not know about reviews is that a lot of them might not be bought, but they are highly incentivized. And here are a couple yeah. of examples. One, reviewers are often you know, flown off to prestigious uh, events before games come out. So, you know, exclusive access, imagine you've flown to New York City to, you know, go to a studio's launch party and this, you're this wide-eyed South African seeing all these, like, famous gaming journalism people and you're treated to the best that New York hospitality has to offer and then you're flown back and asked to give a review, you know, you're, you're probably going to... Yeah, you're like, have wow, enjoyed that your... weekend was, I mean, that game was great. <laughs> yes, exactly, 100%. So there's that. There's, there's also the idea that um, those sort of experiences feel like they are, um, they come with some sort of kind of underwritten clause that they are temporary. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the idea that going, we can fly you to all these events and can continue to do so as long as we maintain a good relationship between 
you reviewer and me distributor PR person. Um, yeah. And so that's the idea of going, cool, you know, you, you gave this one a seven. And so, you know, next time we're inviting people to our big, you know, reveal on the tropical island in Bali, we decided, you know, just to give it to someone else in South Africa because, you know, there are only a couple of tickets and you guys gave us a seven, the other guys gave us a nine. Um, you know, there's, I don't doubt these conversations ever happen, but it feels right. like there's this implied, you know, we're doing nice things for you. We don't have to. And you're going to write your very honest opinion about us, um, which you don't have to, and you don't have to say nice things. But um, it'd be very nice if you could continue to say nice things about us, which, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have to do the the overly dramatic impl- implication tone to for you to realize that there's whenever there's money incentives um, that also over, you know, overlap with subjective opinion. It's yeah. a dangerous, it's a dangerous space. Uh, like just I, I know, um, I'm going to put you on the spot here, because yeah. uh, I know of a few times where, you know, when we worked together at Expresso Show, um, when there were a couple of uh, games where you said you'd actually rather not do the review because yeah. you didn't want to put out a bad review. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like because particularly in that thing, it was not a review show as much as a marketing vehicle for exactly, yeah. for guys to advertise their games. Um, for me, it's like I I don't want to lie <laughs> about your game. Yeah. I'm not going to say nice things when I don't like the game. And so I will give them the opportunity to go like, would you rather I say nothing than say what I honestly feel? Because, I mean, I can always find the silver lining. <laughs> like I can always go yeah. – God, it's another FIFA game. But if you're into esports and you like this sort of stuff, here are the pos- following positive changes. <laughs> and find find the angle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very yeah. much being honest to the fact that I do not like uh, FIFA as you know as a player. I mean, it's a, it's got considerable potential as an esport, specifically specifically in South Africa. But um, please don't ask me to review another copy of FIFA <laughs> if, you, if, if you want my opinion. But yeah, it's it's that kind of thing where <clears throat> I could quite easily have gone. Yeah, you know, well, thanks for this free thing or that free thing. I'm sure we can say nice things about your game, despite the fact that there are rumors that it's bricking consoles. I <laughs> actually, I think that was the most recent one I remember was with Anthem. We were given a copy, yeah. started playing it, didn't really like it, and told the guys like, hey, you know, I'm going to review it, but um, I, I would feel bad reviewing this on national TV <clears throat> now with the knowledge that it's bricking consoles. Next thing you say, stuff about the games, people buy it, you brick their consoles, and... And you know they look to you to going, what the hell, dude? Like, yeah. why did you, why do you recommend you know. this game? So, and yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, and that's that's a big part of like the genesis of the game reviews, right? It's to inform, it's to inform the reader or the viewer. Like, if a game is going to brick my console, I'd want to know about it, you know. But if they're like, you know, uh, all these reviewers around the world who are, like holding it to themselves because they don't want to give out like an unfavorable review because they're yeah. worried about their you know the access that you know Ubisoft uh, or like EA gives them or something then we run into a problem where it becomes like an echo chamber of um you know of positive discourse that's yeah. not necessarily uh um you know it's not necessarily like honest about about the game and then as the reader you know, or the viewer, like, uh, you know, trying to get myself informed, I'm seeing a very biased uh, viewpoint yeah. of this game that's, you know, more akin to like, uh, 
uh, like a PR, uh, you know, statement. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I think that's the other problem is a lot of these websites that do reviews also sell ad space, and so um, you will write the review and also sell website ad space to the game for launch. And so it's a case of going. You're advertising the game, you're going to say nice things or they're not going to buy ad space from you next time either because you're further promoting yeah. the game. And if you've said bad things, you're promoting people to read your review that says bad things. So, you know, it's kind of self-fulfilling in that in that regard. What What's weird then is you get a space where um, you need the big review companies that can afford to say bad things or like stand up against right. the big, big uh, developers. So for something as big, you know, it's an IGN to say something bad about an Activision game, for example, because they can stand up to them because there's no way Activision's not going to give review copies to IGN. They need the exposure dollars. Um, yeah. And, and so you've, you've, got, you've got that issue. But then you've got the guys right at the bottom, you know, the guys with their new YouTube channels, their thousand subscribers, you know, shouting their opinions into the ether. There you've got the risk that, for one, uninformed, like, democracy – because uh, there are spaces where you need informed opinion. Um, yeah. And who's to say what that means? Is that because you played a lot of games? Is it because you researched games? Is it because you've been doing this for a long time? I mean, I remember a classic example in 2008 when God of War and, and Red Dead Redemption were the two of the big contenders for Game of the Year. And mm. there were legitimate arguments on forums that people were saying, there's no way Red Dead won't win it's over a hundred hours of gameplay where uh, Spider-Man and, and God of War are only about 20. And I'm thinking, oh my God, if people honestly think that duration of the game or like playtime is a consideration for game of the year, then, I mean, let's not even talk about where that might end up, where games are designed full of padding so that they are just wow. hundreds of hour long rather than just making them good games. But that's what I would call an uninformed opinion. That's someone who doesn't yeah. know enough about games going, yeah, I buy two games a year. It costs me 2,000 Rand. And so I want value for money. Yes, then Red Dead was a better buy for you than God of War. That does not make it a better game. You know, Indeed. we're not talking about a buyer's guide. Um, and so I think the other dark side we spoke about with the democratization of opinion is review bombing. I mean, yeah. where people... They are just using their review. They've like militarized their review into a weapon as a way of often just, you know, shouting as loudly as they can to bring down a game score, but often not because they didn't enjoy the game, but because they've got some political issue with the studio or the subject matter. I mean, we saw Last of Us uh, last year just getting absolutely review bombed by guys yeah. because of the LGBTQ agenda, you know, within the game. Um, and rightfully and wrongfully, because I mean, I can see something like the new Harry Potter game that's now been delayed to next year when it comes out, just getting review bombed because it's Harry Potter and therefore linked to JR. I mean, to what's her name again? Joanne. Um, Joanne yeah. <laughs> um, and and she, but her whole link with um, you know, not not uh, basically uh, legitimizing. Yeah, yeah, being transphobic. Sorry, I couldn't find the words there. But because of that, you're going to have enough people just jump on that game and bring its review down, despite the fact they might not even play the game. Yeah, so like for me, review bombing has always been like a touchy subject because, you know, I think about the the industry and gamers TM and how much 
like power gamers can really have in influencing mm. the industry and when they use their power when they use when they militarize it and you know and it goes viral you know people jumping in on these to review bomb not because they've even played the game or seen it but because their friends did and they're like this is what we're doing now and they're just coming yeah. in their numbers like you know uh, they can get things done gamers yeah. right like by mobilizing that power but it always seems to be used in uh, like weaponized in, yeah. in this way. And when we're talking about, you know, review scores, you know, having tangible consequences for like the the developers, yeah. you know, who watch this number plummet after like their years of work. Yeah. It's like a stock Years, like ticker, five, yeah. six years of work. Just yeah. <laughs> like going straight down the toilet. And what we know about game development is that a lot of the time, this metacritic score in inverted commas because really the score is is um it's fictitious right it's yeah, it's, just it's, a it's made up of just it's a sentiment mm. you know it gets taken into these board meetings and gets like uh put onto um you know gets used as a talking point in the next like you know budget board meeting, meeting yeah, yeah. and and you know, that can be the place where uh franchises can like live or die yeah 100 you know? percent no, it's it's absolutely crazy, and you know there are so few examples of. There's not even a term for it. What's positive review bombing? Like, um, oh, this game is great. Yeah, this game's great, and you guys underreviewed it. I'm just gonna. The only example I can think of is when people had a massive backlash to Fall Guys because the servers wouldn't work on the first day, and so they started review bombing it. And you might even say that's not even a review bomb. They're just going servers are trash, giving it a two because they didn't get to play the right. game. But then you had people like. No, guys, just rally together. It was like one of those hold, hold, <laughs> and so like they rally together to like hold the review score up, hold it up. They're trying to bring it down, hold it up. Oh, so gosh. for every zero, there was a ten. And so I don't know the guys who are into their stats and that they would have seen this weird thing. Not not a very not a very like neutral medium. Like the bell curve would have been like fifty percent reviews zero, fifty percent reviews tens. Does that make it a five? No one's no one's said this game is a five out of ten. Everyone's like it's perfect or it's the worst game ever. Yeah. So, but but the idea that that can impact the future of the game, the future of the franchise, the future of some people's careers, is yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to quickly throw out like a little example of like No Man's Sky was that twenty sixteen I think. Mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, don't need to talk too much about it. It was a highly controversial game for lots and lots of reasons. Game was completely unfinished at launch. And, you know, if I go over to the um, to the Metacritic score, we see it's sitting around like 60-odd, largely, like, mostly negative to, like, neutral, unfavorable reviews. But a lot of those reviews are from 2016. Yeah, when it launched. You know, broken. And to this day uh, no man's sky has won multiple awards for like most improved game they've added so yeah. many new systems that take it over and above what they promised you know the game would be in 2016 but the review score on metacritic doesn't really reflect that you know growth so you know do metacritic scores allow uh, a game which is an interactive art form that now uh, also encompasses like live services which are planned to go on for years mm. you know does that allow for, you know, uh, for revaluation of these yeah. properties like later on down the line? You know, yeah, just it's slapping like, a number on it and saying this is its value. It's almost like every major patch needs to get a review. So like as much as, 
you know, Dota 2 comes out and it's reviewed at beta and then when it goes into a full game, it's reviewed again. When it does a major patch release like 7.0, which essentially made it a new game, should one not, like, give it a brand new review at that point? Like, that it gets a second yeah. score. Um, yeah, I, I think what's interesting for me is, so you've got this situation where we're not denying that reviews are still important, whether financially or to inform opinion, therefore sales. They have been diversified because obviously now it's not just written reviews. You've got written reviews in magazines, although those are dying, but let's say written reviews include websites. You've got video reviews. You've got Twitch streams. You've got influence. You've got a whole bunch of people sharing their opinions all over the place, massive and small and whatever. So there's a, there's a great different sources of opinion. And in the world of fake news and controlled PR, um, it's difficult to say what is legitimately objective opinion. And I know most opinions are subjective, but what I'm saying is uninfluenced opinion right. it's someone's natural opinion and what is just paid for pr i know in the social media aspect people have to do like hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored but in the those subtle examples i said people being flown off to new york and bali and all that like mm. you don't not, know the backstory i'm not right? paying you for this review i just have paid an all expenses trip for you to enjoy yourself and play the game firsthand uh which i will take away if you you know if we don't like the review so mm. it's um it is tough but I think what's very dangerous is when you have situations where it's bad enough when the journalists are trying to control the narrative, which becomes very difficult now that of the democratization of opinion. But what's very dangerous, and I know this goes back to an episode we did two weeks ago with cyberpunk, but when the developers try and control the narrative. Yeah. So not even trusting the journalists that they might have, you know, you know, got on their side whether not paid for you know paid for or not they've they've befriended the the reviewers but when they actually try and control it and to to kind of rehash that for those who didn't listen to that episode with cyberpunk they not only did not give any review copies uh on on console where the majority of the issues i mean the game had issues on pc as well but the majority of issues vast majority were on console there were no review copies given out on console and then even for those review copies that were given on PC, they were given with very short lead times. So not giving the guys weeks and weeks and weeks to play. It was a couple of days before launch. Um, and then they were not allowed to give any footage of their own. It had to be the kind of doctored and prepared footage that was given to them. So they were given a hard drive full of or like access to a, to a, a cloud-based hard drive that had all the um, like pre-prepared right. clips. Which is why if you go on YouTube and look at reviews that came out the week of launch, all the clips are the same. You know, it's the dude yeah. sliding down the the outside of the of a glass building, you know, jumping to a helicopter. It's all the same scenes everybody had because they're all the best scenes doctored to look, you know, immaculate. Whereas, you know, your experience even on a PC without any bugs or issues probably didn't look as good as as any of those videos did. But what right. it ends up doing is because we've at least in my experience as a reviewer. When this is done, it's almost immediately you, you're, the hairs on the back of your neck start standing up yeah. because you're going, It's oh bad my God. faith. It's bad faith yeah. communication from the 100%, publisher. 100%. And everyone knew it. Everyone knew it like really early on. And there were a couple of you know, reviewers who I keep on track with and I check out you know, their opinions. And those ones who I keep on track with, they, like, they, didn't, even use, uh, they didn't use any footage. It was just like mm. face camera. And they were like, look, I wanted to show you the game, but you know, I could only show you footage that they gave me, so I'd rather just show no footage at all and yeah. talk about what's going on, and it's weird. Yeah. So, like, you know, 
you have this overreach from the publishers, but it has a ripple effect in that it's just all it did was create mistrust and discord, yeah, not only yeah. with the journalists, but then also with the um, then also with the with the public and with their consumers. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There are some games that don't follow the rules in terms of review stuff. So uh, the normal r- rules are um, they give out copies especially the big games, one or two weeks beforehand, their embargo saying what you can't say, but that's far more from a spoiler point of view uh, because they know stuff that you don't know. So when they're saying, please don't reveal this weapon, you're going, how is that a spoiler? Until you play the game and then you go, I mean, let's use God of War, for example. Um, if Dude, you no started... spoilers, what the F? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's only like three years old. But anyway, if you started showing footage with the, what, chains of, what's the Blades thing? of... Blades of, Blades, of Blades, of, yeah. Blades of Exile. If you start Lord. playing, showing clips with the Blades of Exile, people are going, oh my word, he gets the Blades of Exile back. That's a big moment in the game. So just showing two seconds of you swinging those around, that's like a massive spoiler. And yeah. so in the embargo, we'll say, please don't reveal the secret weapon that you get around 10 hours in. So you don't even know what you're spoiling, but when you get it, you're like, ah, this is what they're talking about. Yes, this would be a spoiler. But if they told me, they would have spoiled it for me. So... They know their game. So those are the kind of embargoes that you get. Please don't mention this. Please don't do this. Don't show footage from here. Uh, they recommend usually don't show footage outside of your first hour of play because people are good at dissecting video. Have you ever seen guys yeah. dissect trailers? They, the amount of times they are right 100% and don't even know it. And then you can imagine the developers like, oh, my God, they know everything, even though it's all just guesses. <laughs> because they dissect the video frame by frame by frame. Um, yeah. and get millions of views on YouTube for people like following their analyses. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that the normal rules are game you're allowed to play, here are the embargoes, here are the rules, get your reviews up by a certain point. When a game developer releases a game and they are like no review copies or like 100% embargo, you can't say a thing until launch day, um, generally the, that's the red flag of like this yeah. game is garbage, you don't want people to know, um, and so you don't want us to tell people until they basically have paid for their pre-orders. That's yeah. the general sentiment. There are, however, games where they are just so confident. I think uh, Rock, Rockstar is one of those examples. Uh, you can say confident or arrogant. We're like, got no review copies till launch day. Like, in fact, if you'd bought the game, you would have got it sooner because, you know, it's one of those, you would have got it at midnight when it launched, whereas we got mm. review copies like 4 p.m. that day. So, you know, in that sense, you, you would know more than we do by the time it comes out. And then it's one of those like, eh, write the review when you want to. There's no, no pressure, no embargoes, no nothing, because we have not given you anything. Write what you think. And, and yeah, um, there are examples when that is positive, generally mm-hmm. speaking, massive red flag. And so when CD Projekt Red were like, no preview copies, none on console, um, you know, embargo almost everything, have to use our footage you like, oh, that's a major red flag, but they made Witcher 3. I'm sure it's, I'm sure they're just so confident in their game that meanwhile, yeah. So I think the other thing we want to just touch on in terms of um, dodgy review practices, if you want to call it that, is the idea that when, when companies add in all the dodgy stuff after the review window is closed, let's say the review yeah. window is probably the first two weeks. Um, because then even people who you know didn't get pre-copies um, have got their reviews out. And I mean, you shared some ex- examples of like uh, microtransactions uh, that some studios yeah, have done. Activision have become like the the 
they become the gods of this uh, particular strategy. Um, and I remember this particularly like in 2017, uh, 2018, when microtransactions were like a really hot button topic because of Battlefront yeah. 2. Um, and suddenly all these publishers were like scrambling to like, you know, change their live service model games yeah. uh, before they hit the market because everything was a live service and uh, microtransactions, loot boxes were under huge amounts of scrutiny, which is leading to like hearings and legislation changes, governments getting involved. So Activision will, you know, remove those microtransactions. They put out a PR statement saying, oh, no microtransactions in, you know, Black Ops 3. <laughs> and it was yeah. like, oh, yeah. People buy their Black Ops 3. And like two, three weeks later, after all the reviews come out, they start adding the store, adding stuff to the store. So it's very unlikely, again, that we'll be going back to that review and reevaluate. Yeah the game um, just because of how the cycle uh, because of the, the life of how the cycle works out you know and they know that uh, that gamers behave this way so it's a pretty safe angle for them to to go and a lot of the uh, the journalists you know there's no incentive for them to go and you know re like redo that work <laughs> right yeah. and you know the irony of course is that as far as payment or like the monetization of a game how it would work normally is like you would sell the game up front and that would be your spike in revenue that needs to make up a all the input costs from in the past but then also has to last you for the future to pay for ongoing maintenance updates servers uh, community service uh, well, community like um, management and all that sort of stuff so you know it's, it's a very weird financing model that goes yeah. we're going to work on this for five years not earn a cent then earn all our money in the first like week or so and then little spikes as we do sales and that um, and that's going to pay for everything as well as going forward that's the future um, it's not like the movies that go um, you know go to the cinema then make it onto dvd then get sold to right. like the the tv stations or the netflix or whatever so they have multiple income streams as they get syndicated this is a right, right, basically right. make up all your money up front so those those um, monetization models like microtransaction or that aren't needed when the game launches. Like mm. the game sells, makes all its money that it was going to make as a single cell game. And then the microtransactions are what keep it alive for years to come and finance the DLCs and all the updates and that. And so it's almost a smart way of going, yeah, cool, there's going to be no microtransactions on this game, launch it. And then even six months later going, oh, there's new content which you pay for. Here's this, here's this, here are new skins, whatever. Yeah. And the reviews are up, people like or hate the game, and then the microtransactions keep it alive for the current fan base. Anyone joining who wants to see reviews, all the reviews are positive from launch. Yeah, I mean, it's, you want to say it's dodgy, it's also, it's also clever. <laughs> yeah, it is clever. And, yeah. it, you know, it, it happened around a time when uh, having loot boxes or microtransactions in your game, like, would hurt its score because yeah. it was, like, Absolute that hot. So I think a lot yeah. of... Exactly. I think a lot of publishers have like a rethought that the way they go around recurrent user spending yeah. um, and Activision were just, <laughs> that was just their answer, right? Just like, cool, just don't put it in until later, <laughs> <laughs> which seems like pretty elegant, actually. Yeah. Um, cool. So I guess the, the interesting thing for me then is understanding and maybe question to our, our listeners, if you want to share with us on, on Twitter, you're welcome to just send us a message at guru underscore podcast. Always enjoy uh, hearing what you guys have to say. 
but understanding for one, what space do reviews still play in your kind of decision-making matrix? Uh, I know some people just, you know, continue to read them or watch them to stay informed. Some people watch them purely for entertainment because, you know, there are some definitely entertaining reviewers. I mean, I love to watch um, Video Game Donkey as an example. Yeah. I know his stuff's always just comedic. It's not really a serious review of games, but, you know, it is an entertainment thing. Um, but also just watching Twitch streamers playing games is often a way of deciding whether to buy or or not buy a game based on its reviews. So I'd love to know what space reviews have for you. Um, do you believe there are particularly outlets that, you know, are, are more objective or more honest? Um, I know that there are a couple of websites, for example, um, addressing the issue of the free stuff that they get given by formally saying that, like, this game we bought. You know, we don't yeah. accept free copies. We don't accept preview copies. We don't accept trips to Bali or New York. We buy all our games on launch day just like you, and then they review them. Um, I think one particular channel that I enjoy is Before You Buy. Um, I don't think they've they made a formal statement saying that they, they don't use preview copies, but there's always this feeling that they take into account um, the buying factor of the game. Yeah. You know, for example, I, I mean, I'll be honest, when you review a game and you don't have to pay for it, you know, things like we spoke about, um, like uh, gameplay length, don't become factors. In fact, if anything, I like when a game is not 100 hours long because then I feel like I can finish it, get through it thoroughly and write a thorough review as opposed to, you know, having to rush through it just to, you know, get to the the end of the game so you can write the review. Whereas, you know, if I paid a thousand rand for it, I probably would feel a little bit hard done by if it were only 20 mm. hours long with limited replay factor. So there are sites like that. Um, do you have any particular, you know, you're saying there, there are certain reviewers that you follow. Is it based on... Yeah. The quality um, of the opinion or the objectivity or humor? What is it that makes you drawn uh, it's, to? It's a mix of mirth. It, mirth. it depends on the, the content, how it's presented. I like uh, Young, Young Ya. Yeah. I like uh, Lemon Gaming. Skill Up is also a really good place for just Ralph does the most with his reviews. Um, and uh, James Stephanie Sterling, previously known as Jim Sterling, Jim uh, Pressions. Mm. Um, I know that like they were dropped from almost every publisher <laughs> like years ago and they buy their own copies and okay. their reviews are often like, uh, yeah, it's really on the nose, really honest. And I have bought games off of uh, the opinion that I that I found with with Jim, Jim Pressions. Okay. One of those in particular, um, Plague Tale Innocence. Oh, so good. Oh, yeah. It's on it's on special at the moment. So if anyone wants to go out there, grab Plague Tale. Good game. You know, well, there you go. You know, you, maybe you, know you got that opinion from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe you take the Gaming Group podcast as a way to get your opinions. Uh, as always, we love sharing our opinions with you, and please do share yours with us. Uh, you can message Tim at, at Tim and a Fish on Twitter. I'm at uh, the Gareth Woods, and of course, we are at Guru underscore podcast. But until next time, we'll join you with a brand new juicy topic to sink our teeth into. Uh, we will see you then, and until then, uh, go out and play some games. Uh-huh.